Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the State of the Union and America, Pelosi, the suffragettes, and what women really want, Rush Limbaugh at the State of the Union, Van Jones rings the Democrat alarm bell big time, and the Democrats rolling Iowa disaster. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Going to guess most listeners to this show watched the State of the Union last night. I will tell you, we did also at our home. We had a, a friend stop by who's in from out of town, and he said, I'm come by around 7. And I was thinking, even when he got there, don't think you're staying, you know, <laughs> into the State of the Union or, or understand we're going to turn the TV on, buddy. But anyway, we uh, did watch the whole State of the Union. And I wanted to talk about, in the first five today, just a simple question. Why? What is it that causes people to choose a president of the United States. What is it you want the president to do? What does the presidency stand for, for America's voters? Because if you listen to State of the Union last night, you saw a just, first of all, very enthusiastic response and support for the president from the Republican elected members of Congress. You saw the Democrats largely not standing, not clapping, not cheering, not joining in the, well, they certainly didn't join the four more years, but you saw stoic rejection of this president. And I just want to, my, my question for the first five, I say for a president, I want a president who will keep America safe, primary job, national security, which includes a strong military able to defend us, strong borders so we have a country, so we know what our country is, that we enforce those borders. Because if we don't have any borders, you know, if the whole earth just existed with oceans and land and, and people meandering everywhere with, you know, no borders at all, which is what many leftists want, you wouldn't really have the idea of a country. But borders create countries. They create, you know, the national, the, the you know, borderline, the boundary line between one country and the next. But in the case of the United States of America, the president's job is not just to secure the border and not just to have a strong military to keep us safe. It is the job of the president to carry on in every generation the idea of America. By that I mean the idea of what the country America is, what the founding was based on, what did we create in our founding? If you have Muslim majority countries around the world committed in varying degrees to Sharia, you know, Islamic law, and you understand whoever your leader is, you probably didn't get to vote for him, but whoever your leader is, their job is to push forward Sharia and Islamic law in Islamic majority countries that follow Sharia. In America, the president's job is to preserve the idea, the founding idea of America. The notion that each of us, as the Declaration tells us, each of us has rights from God. I always add, simply because we were born, we were created equal, we have rights to live in liberty, have life, liberty, and pursue our version of happiness. That's what the idea of America is. And the only economic system that can flow from that idea are free markets. 
The only concept of America that can flow that from that must include the right of each individual to live in liberty. The concept spelled out again in the Declaration of Independence, later in the Constitution, this idea that because you live in this country, you aren't going to be forced by the mullahs to dress a certain way or live a certain way because we don't follow Islamic law, we follow American law. The notion of each individual with a right to live in, 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 with independence, each individual having that right, having the right and the responsibility to engage in personal responsibility to care for yourselves, care for your life, and you have the idea that within the Bill of Rights, these rights that were spelled out in the founding that are the, you know, the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, the idea that you have the right to freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of worship, these are fulfilling those, protecting those in every generation. That is the job of the President of the United States of America. That's the job. And so President Trump talked about last night, you know, just overwhelmingly positive economic numbers. You know, the idea that, and economic numbers aren't just about cold, hard, you know, we're now energy self-sufficient because look at our energy production versus somebody else's, or, you know, unemployment numbers and job opportunities and a booming economy. These are not just economic factors. They tie back to, they relate back to this idea of the founding of America, the idea that we live in this country, a country rooted in liberty, and that because we have that right, each of us has the right and responsibility to care for ourselves, to be self-reliant. We, we should have a president who wants jobs to be created, who wants a middle class to be strong, who wants children to have access to quality education so they can move forward and join the American dream. Every one of the big picture item, items or ideas that created America were included in that State of the Union last night. Every one of them. The ideas of the individuals having the right and responsibility and freedom and opportunity to be self-reliant, to find a job that, that provides them with an income so they can care for their family, so they can put food on the table for their children. This is what the idea, the presidency of America is supposed to be about. And this president running through his accomplishments, and again, it's not personal to him. He is a magnificent force. President Trump is strong. He is determined. He's unrelenting. He keeps pushing. But what he's pushing, the policies, the ideas, he is pushing fundamentally the preservation of America, which leads me to how the left receives him. You saw last night, and we're going to get more to this in a moment, about how the, the, most of the Democrat women who are serving in either the U.S. House or the Senate came dressed in all white. And that, if you didn't know what it was, that all white clothing was supposed to represent the suffragettes, the, you know, the women who fought you know, a century ago for the right of women to have the right to vote. And that was kind of their color. When they dressed up to go to a march or whatever they did, uh, their rallies, they dressed all in white. And so these women, Democrats in Congress, were showing their solidarity, or they would claim they were showing their solidarity with the suffragettes. But I really want to pose this question, I'll come back to it several times in this show. What about President Trump's agenda, accomplishments, this, what he reported last night about the State of the Union is inconsistent with what women want? What? I, I'm not, I, will, I will concede the one issue where there's clear from the start 
policy differences between the Democrats and the Republicans, and that has to do with the issue of protecting unborn life. The Democrat Party is committed as a right, a women's right, for women to have the right to abortion all the way up to, in fact, including past birth. The post-birth abortion, or, you know, the, the real thing is having a baby born and then believing that a woman's right to choose includes her right to end her baby's life after it's born, and that is included in what many leftists claim is a woman's right to choose. So the right to choose, the left claims right to choose includes up till and past birth, kill your baby if you want to, that's the left view, and the conservative view, the Republican view, the President Trump view is we try to protect unborn life. That is a clear, I will concede, a policy difference. And we fight it out on what, how we solve that issue. But really, in closing out the first five today, ask yourself, what was it, what is it that President Trump has done, including, which is this concept of a strong economy, jobs available, the lowest unemployment rates, with all the records he cited, lowest unemployment rates for blacks, for Asians, for Hispanics, for women, stellar numbers. And these numbers translate into real people's lives, real jobs, real ability to live out the American dream, to be a wage earner, to be able to put, to earn income by your hard work and bring your income home and put food on the table. This is what President Trump was touting last night. And this is what the Democrats could not stand up and clap for virtually the entire evening. I really will close the first five now just to say it's a very important thing to recognize as we move forward in 2020 in this election cycle that, and we're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi's behavior, but just to think about what is it you want a president to do? What does he stand for? What does President Trump do? Has he, you know, is he forwarding for the American people, all the American people, the promises he made? and ultimately forwarding the promises made by the founders to every generation that we have the right to live in freedom. Because how I see it is President Trump is forwarding exactly what he said he would do, and more importantly, exactly what the idea of America is all about. What the Democrats are telling you from last night is that they can not be happy no matter how good things are for the American people. Every American, certainly people in Congress, should be celebrating the unemployment numbers, the bustling economy, the notion that more people are able to be to wage earners and producers and take care of their families. These people, these leftists holding seats in Congress and the Senate and serving as part of the Democrat Party, are telling you this kind of fulfilling of the idea of America drives them nuts. They find it unacceptable. In fact, they simply hate it. It ought to make you wonder what they would do, what they would fight for. If they don't like the success we're, we're receiving right now, what is it they would fight for if they had the majority? And that, my friends, is today's first five. So I'm going to turn and talk about uh, the State of the Union again, um, and really probably the whole show is more or less about the State of the Union. But I'm going to start with, I mentioned the suffragettes, you know, the uh, women who were dressed in white, and there were a whole slew of them, and uh, members of the House and Senate uh, sat together, and they, uh, honestly, every time the camera panned to them, they looked just miserable. And I really want you to think, if you're a woman voter, and, and conceding, Abortion is an issue where there's clear, undeniable difference between what the Republicans and the Democrats think and the policies they pursue, for sure. But beyond that, what is it that President Trump has accomplished that is, that is so uh, 
upsetting and, and disgusting or, or deserving of disdain from the viewpoint of the Democrats in Washington. What is it they really hate about his accomplishments? But I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi. First, I want to plant this really unpleasant seed in your thought. You do realize, of course, that according to our Constitution, Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, is the third person in line of succession to serve as the president of this country. Meaning, if something, and I never want anything bad to happen to anyone, so, but I mean, if President Trump were gone, if Vice President Pence were gone, the next person who would then automatically under our Constitution become president is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Turning to her, I have a bunch of clips I want to play for you just to talk about who she is and what she's all about. So, beginning of the evening, State of the Union, uh, President Trump comes in, and the very first thing uh, that people were noticing, and I'm going to play the clip for, have Matt the Wonderful producer, and he really is a wonderful producer, Matt the Wonderful, uh, play this first clip, just clip one. This is Nancy Pelosi uh, at, the, you know, at the podium, and President Trump has arrived. He's about to get the State of the Union, and he's turning around to hand the script of his State of the Union to Vice President Pence and to Speaker Pelosi. Here she is. Not a lot of exchange there. Okay, I want to point out, you see a very short clip, seven seconds. First thing is, when President Trump handed the text of his speech to Vice President Pence, there was no handshake. So I don't even know if the handshake at that moment is traditional. Then he hands it to Speaker Pelosi, and she put her hand out. President Trump turned around and, and turned back to the podium, did not shake Speaker Pelosi's hand. Number one, I don't even know if it's customary. Vice President Pence didn't do it. So, you know, maybe it's not customary. Maybe it was something Nancy Pelosi did out of nervousness or whatever reason, trying to show some, some um, semblance of decorum or something, uh, tried to shake his hand. President Trump did not shake her hand, turned around. The other point I make about it is, I don't even know, besides, I don't know if it's customary, I don't even know if he saw her. It, you know, he's, it's a very quick, the whole clip is seven seconds, he picks it up, he turns around, hands the pens, hands the Pelosi, turns around, he may not have even seen her. But third, even if he did, as some of the people are pointing out who are defenders of Pelosi, well, you know, President Trump was so rude, he didn't shake her hand. This is the woman, to be clear, who authorized the entire sham, hoax, impeachment process to begin. If Nancy Pelosi had not signed off on it, it wouldn't have happened. This is a woman trying to drive President Trump out of his job, even though duly elected, and she were still the day before, when the speech was given last night, the day before the Senate, the final vote will be on, and they won't get an avoid, a vote to remove him, so it'll be, so therefore it becomes a vote to acquit, wherever the numbers are. This is a woman who's lied about him, put forth an entire impeachment sham for the whole country to watch for weeks on end. And then, you know, I, I could see President Trump thinking, you know, you're trying to drive me out of my office. You're lying about me. I don't think I'm gonna shake your hand, but that was a small thing. Next clip I wanna play. So this is, you know, so they kicked off the evening. Nancy Pelosi's conduct was just simply, uh, uh, you know, if my sixth grade child had behaved this way, we would have talked about it afterwards. Sixth graders should know how to act better than she did. This is a tiny little clip, clip two. This is how Nancy Pelosi looks sitting behind President Trump during the entire uh, speech, this entire State of the Union. To summarize before I play it, she was muttering to herself, 
gesturing to someone off screen. She knows she's in the camera. She knows the president's there. She's the speaker of the house, VP Pence. The whole camera's on them. And the whole time she's muttering under her breath, licking her lips, screwing up her face, talking to someone off camera, like leaning, talking across Vice President Pence to some unknown person, or maybe to herself, we'll never know, making faces, lifting up her papers. The whole time he's trying to talk, you know, one of this is, you know, the once a year State of the Union, staring at pages, turning pages, lifting pages like this, only covering her face like this. This is what she's doing during the impeachment, I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry, during the State of the Union. Nancy Pelosi behaving like a second grader. But go ahead, let's play this clip too. Socialism destroys nations, but always remember freedom unifies the soul. To safeguard American liberty, we have invested a record-breaking $2.2 trillion in the United States military. You know, that wasn't the most ideal clip, but there were many of them. But, you know, she repeated a line that President Trump had just said in the State of the Union. She repeated, and freedom... I can't remember what the line was. The freedom does something good for the soul. But her point is, you see her mouthing the words, looking around. The whole, most of the time that the president was delivering the State of the Union, she's staring at papers, fussing, fussing, fussing with them. Just acting like, signaling, I'm not listening to a word you're saying. You deserve no respect. I will not listen to you. Afterwards, by the way, one of her, I think it was her chief of staff, but somebody on her behalf was answering questions from the media. And the media guy was saying, you know, don't you think that was a little over the top? I mean, she just, how she behaved and was recounting all this stuff. Her staff said, hey, you know, we think given, um, you know, all that President Trump has done, she behaved in a very classy manner. I and mean, there's not even a, a hint of an apology coming from her for, for behaving the way she did uh, during the State of the Union. The next thing I want to hit, um, I want to not... Um, Let's see. Uh, let me see which one I want to get here. Oh, yeah. This is, I'm going to run to the end of this. Yeah, this is clip three, um, uh, end of the clips from the State of the Union. This is clip three, and this is of Nancy Pelosi, which she did at the end of the State of the Union, which is she, uh, yeah, it's clip three, what she did at the very end of the State of the Union. Here she is, how she conducted herself. you got to watch what she's doing. She tore up the Speaker of the House on national television, very prominently, intentionally standing up, tore up the State of the Union speech. And I got to tell you, folks, that State of the Union speech, back to my first five, this was a president resonating with the American people, resonating with what he had to say, resonating with the people who are grateful to have jobs and the stories he had. I mean, you know, the, the greatest thing in the State of the Union, it seems in recent years, are the individual people's stories that are brought to light during on national television during the State of the Union. So, you know, the young man who wants to become a pilot and his grandfather or great-grandfather, I think it was, had just turned 100, was a Tuskegee Airman. I mean, uh, announcing them, awarding them. They had the little girl who is in fourth grade who's single mom 
wants to be able to control her daughter's education, wants to provide her a better public school than the one or commanded by the zip code form of assigning public schools and not having access to a very limited number of scholarships where this young girl who is black, she and her mom are black, those that little family found out on national television during the State of the Union that President Trump had arranged for this young girl, fourth grader, to get an opportunity scholarship, which means the idea that the mom, the parent, can choose their child's education rather than the teacher union zip code dictated public school system where this mom was very disappointed, upset, could not get her daughter into a better school. So you had the little girl awarded, you had the Tuskegee Airmen, you had the um, family where they brought the dad in and surprised the family. The mom had been brought her two young children. They surprised her with the uh, dad who's come home from uh, military service abroad. I mean, story after story. And one of the most touching stories they had was a man in the audience who had served a fair amount of time in prison. A black man, an older man, had served time in prison, become addicted to some sort of drug, had a drug problem, became addicted. And the reason he was at the State of the Union and singled out by uh, President Trump was because this was a man who had benefited from the justice, criminal justice reform bill that President Trump signed and that he spearheaded getting it through Congress so this man got a second chance. Get out of prison, is freed of his drug addiction, and is working. The, the dream of working for yourself and where you want and earning your own way in life. So that man, I mean, honestly, I saw men putting notice, different notices on social media saying, I cried during the um, State of the Union. These were heartfelt American stories that President Trump brought to America, brought to light in America. So it was just a fabulous uh, State of the Union. I think that Nancy Pelosi, uh, her conduct was just beneath despicable, just childish. And honestly, not just childish, like you shouldn't act that way when you're a grown up, but in no sense, in no way, grateful for all the good that has come to America through President Trump's policies. Not at all. Not grateful. Not, I mean, she, I guess she finally, she did clap. She clapped at a few things, very, very few things. For, for most of the different stories, these amazing life stories, most of them, she sat there stoic, as did the women in white, you know, the, uh, the suffragette brigade, uh, brigade, which by the way, does not represent women. It represents left-wing views. Those people, women dressed in white, sitting there listening to the State of the Union, they do not speak for women. They do not represent women. They speak and stand for radical leftism. They could not cheer on all the good in America. It should make you wonder, make you ask yourself, what is it? What is the America they would want? What would they want that's not happening right now? As I say, leaving abortion aside, because that's another issue we just aren't going to agree in the discussion today about the State of the Union. But, okay, next thing I want to do is turn to, so Rush Limbaugh was at the State of the Union. I want to turn and do a, a segment just about this Rush Limbaugh thing. So, uh, first I'll tell you, I mentioned yesterday, literally on the way to coming to the show, learned that... Um, Rush Limbaugh had announced in his show yesterday that he has a very serious, uh, very bad diagnosis of lung cancer, of advanced stage lung cancer. And so he was invited to the State of the Union, and he was there last night. And there was a segment, I guess I want to first play this segment. This is clip four. They're very wonderful. Matt, the producer, clip four. This is Rush Limbaugh at the State of the Union, and then we'll talk about it.
Almost every American family knows the pain when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness. Here tonight is a special man, beloved by millions of Americans, who just received a stage four advanced cancer diagnosis. This is not good news, but what is good news is that he is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. In recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I will now ask the First Lady of the United States to present you with the honor, please. I have to tell you, folks, I mean, there were many, many moving moments in the State of the Union last night. But I want to say a couple things about Rush Limbaugh. I mentioned yesterday, um, you know, what, what a legend he has been. For many Americans who were not particularly politically active, who may have thought they weren't really smart enough or informed enough or didn't really have a proper role or a right to be participating in politics in the American political conversation, Rush Limbaugh legitimized the, the rise of, it's not just populism or the Tea Party, the rise of the sense of patriotism in this country, starting back, you know, decades ago when he started with the idea that the individual person can understand, can be involved, should have an opinion. And for many people, because really at the time Rush Limbaugh came along, we really just had the dominant mainstream media who even back then, they aren't, weren't as leftist as they are now, but you had very few sources of news, very few sources of ways to look at things. You'd hear stories, and then you'd have NBC, ABC, and CBS tell you what you should think about those stories. Rush Limbaugh came along, and he, in this format that he was told at first will never work, no one's going to listen to you talk for three hours about politics, he decided, this is what I want to do. This is what I think America needs. And he began doing the Rush Limbaugh show. And I, I'll tell you my, our personal story about it. So we lived in San Diego at the time. And we were, um, uh, we were very blessed to have my husband's parents live nearby. So we saw them a lot. We were very close to his parents. I had the best in-laws ever. But anyway, we were very close to his parents. And um, this is the age or stage of our lives where we're having kids. So we had three small children um, at home. And my father-in-law had said, you know, I heard somebody on the radio today. And I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, um, I, I think he's actually really good. I think he gets it. To be clear, we talk politics all the time. You might be surprised at my home we talk politics all the time. But even back then, we did. You know, my husband, myself, and his parents, and other people, but we talked about politics. We talked about not just politics like candidate X versus candidate Y, but policies in America and how they're going to shape our future and what's going to happen if we do this or that. And what does it signify when the president does this or says that? 
Anyway, my father-in-law said, you've got to tune in to Rush Limbaugh. You've got to listen to this guy. I think that little experience we had in our home years ago in San Diego is what happened around the country because what people were hearing was not a radically different idea than what they thought from millions of Rush's listeners. What they were hearing was exactly what they had always thought, but they didn't get it validated very often. They didn't get you know, the uh, elites, the ruling class, the ABC, NBC, CBS types did not validate the common, you know, Main Street, mainstream, America-loving patriot viewpoint. It didn't have very many voices in the media saying it or validating it. And Rush Limbaugh came along and a lot of what he said, people said, thank goodness that I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. He made it legitimate to be a conservative, to be a a participating informed conservative he made it legitimate he made it fun he made it interesting I mean just an engaging personality able to make it uh, able to make what seems to many people like perhaps a little bit dry just made it fun fun to talk about fun to explain things um, I remember one time you went through a whole long thing about zero based budgeting and I mean I did happen to know what that was and, and I understood its significance but for many people that was like a, I remember you got many callers saying, I never understood that, but now I do. Thank you so much. So anyway, he's been a legendary for decades, explaining things. People tune in when big events happen. They think, you know, well, what is Rush going to say? How's he going to see this? I'm going to tune in and see what he's going to say. So what Rush Limbaugh has really did, he really obviously carved out the niche in America for talk shows, for political talk shows. I'm not saying none of them existed, but the prevalence of, first of all, using radio, bringing AM radio back, uh, and also the prevalence of radio as a source to get news, to understand what the people were and what the issues were, he, he, you know, he really harnessed or he, you know, he brought to America this idea that you can find news and listen to news and, and contemplate it yourself and process your opinions. And you can, and then of course, along came Sean Hannity and Mark Levin and a whole bunch of other people um, on, on talk radio. And so just, he really changed America in very significant ways. I also want to give credit to President Trump for giving this tribute to Rush Limbaugh at this State of the Union. I do not, I mean, I am not, this may sound a little tiny bit like I'm doing a eulogy, I am not. I am very, very hopeful that Rush Limbaugh can find complete recovery, that he can get, go through treatment. I mean, you have lots of people in life who've gotten terrible diagnoses, and you know that because they're telling you 20 years later, yeah, my doctor said I wasn't gonna make it for another year, and here I am 20 years later. I think that there are millions of Americans praying for Rush Limbaugh. I want very much for him to overcome this and come back and be the strong Rush Limbaugh that he is. But it was really uh, touching, poignant, and a little bit brave for President Trump to give this honor during the State of the Union because obviously a lot of what Rush Limbaugh did was help Americans understand things that the left had been doing to them through our policies, help Americans understand that even though the left claimed, for example, that the Great Society was all about helping people, Rush Limbaugh and many others were part of helping America understand the left's policies hurt Americans. The left's policies hurt families. They destroy families. They hurt people. So him being honored, Limbaugh being honored at a State of the Union by President Trump was a bold move because there are a whole bunch of lefties in that room who do not, do not appreciate how much Rush Limbaugh has been able to inspire and inform America so we can all better understand 
what the left really does, what the difference is between policies that preserve America, that the kind of policies that President Trump stands for, and the policies that really harm and destroy America, which with the left is what the left stands for today. And this show, my show, America Can We Talk, honestly, I am deeply inspired by Rush Limbaugh. I have been for a long time. I mean, I am a lawyer by background. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I didn't set out, you know, right out of college to be a radio person or a, you know, a talk show person. It just kind of evolved in my life based on political activity and a lot of different things. But it, the, the pathway he made made other people confident to say, yeah, I have a voice and I'm going to speak up for it. So this is why I do this show, America Can We Talk. It is why Rush Limbaugh did his show. It is why President Trump does the policies he does. It is to fight for the preservation of this extraordinary country. One more topic I want to turn to very quickly, uh, Van Jones. If you don't, if you're thinking, I think I know that name. Uh, Van Jones is a um, American, well, he was a very much politically active. He is now kind of more of a pundit. He's on CNN. He is frequently referred to as a communist. If he's not communist, he's way radically left, but he's a black Democrat commentator on CNN. And he made some comments after the State of the Union that I want to ask Matt the Wonderful to play. This is a clip from him. Um, in fact, it was a um, clip five. Again, yeah, clip five. And this is from um, this is from Van Jones on CNN. We'll talk about it after you hear what he has to say. I, I think the, the last 24 hours have been a big wake up call for Democrats. That's what I think. Um, the Iowa caucus was a debacle. Uh, and this was a very strong speech. And it shows what he thinks he needs to do to win. And I think we have to be very clinical about this. I think you're exactly right. Uh, he knows he's got to give a lot of red meat to his base, and he gave it. What, for religious liberty, abortion, all of it, the military, etc. Um, but he's doing something else, and it has to do with how he's going to manage race in this thing. And there seems to be a trade-off between the Latinos and the African Americans. That's what you see. Uh, a warning to Democrats. What he was saying to African Americans can be effective. You, you may not like it. But he mentioned HBCUs. Our black colleges have been struggling for a long time. A bunch of them have gone under. Uh, he threw a lifeline to them uh, in real life, in, in his budget. He talked about that. He talked about the criminal justice reform. He talked about opportunity zones. This, school choice. He talked about school choice. Yeah. Listen, wake up. Okay. I want to say a couple things about that. Van Jones, uh, you know, cheering section entirely for the radical left. But I love that Van Jones acknowledged that on CNN. And I want to just encourage you to think about a couple of things. One is that in Van Jones' world, he's a left winger. All he can think about is identity politics. So he listened to that speech. And President Trump did, in that speech, talk about the sanctuary cities and that they're a bad thing. He was very denouncing of them. Van Jones hears that. And so he's saying President Trump is choosing black American voters over Hispanic American voters. That's his take on it, because in the limited mindset of the leftist, everything is identity politics. So if President Trump criticized sanctuary cities, but he praised policies, the opportunity zones, the criminal justice reform, uh, the, um, you know, the um, school choice and other issues that Van Jones is saying resonated with black voters, this is a this is getting under Van Jones skin, but I want to say it's not 
contrary to how Van Jones sees things, it's not about picking black voters over Hispanic voters. He did in a clip, I couldn't include everything, but Van Jones said, and everyone knows that, you know, there's nothing wrong with sanctuary cities and this will really hurt him with Hispanic voters um, because he criticized sanctuary cities and there's nothing wrong with them. Anyway, everything's fine. I mean, he, he tried to say that Trump was going to alienate Hispanic voters. I'm going to tell you, when you take a non-racial, non-identity politics approach and you simply are trying to do what is right for the country, you're going to condemn lawless sanctuary cities because they are lawless. Their lawlessness hurts everyone. The crimes committed by people who stay in our country illegally because they're protected by Democrats in various sanctuary places hurt everyone. President Trump isn't choosing blacks over Hispanics. He's choosing law and order for everyone. He's also choosing school choice, something that many black parents want, something that the Democrat Party in Washington can not support because the teachers unions have a death grip hold on the finances of the Democrat Party. And the teachers unions hate school choice. They don't care. The teachers unions are not dedicated to the quality of education to, for the children. They're dedicated to their own political power. They won't go with school choice, even though study after study shows children thrive in areas where we have put school choice in place. And really school choice is parental choice. It's putting power back in the hands of the parents instead of the legislature to mandate where their kid goes to school. It is not President Trump choosing one ethnicity over another. He's choosing law and order, the idea of America, we don't have errors, we don't follow laws, and he's choosing to be, as he talked about in various ways in his speech, he's talking about we have an obligation as a country to make America, to provide the most opportunity we can for the most for most Americans to join the American dream. So therefore, we have to have policies that bring jobs back to America. We have to have policies that enable the creation of businesses. We have to have policies that enable young children to get free of their zip code mandated schools that aren't doing a good job educating those children. This is President Trump. He's not choosing race over race. He's choosing to try to make the American dream possible and available to more Americans. A very presidential thing indeed. Even the criminal justice reform, which is really bothering the leftists because they think they are just, they, the idea has been talked about for decades and President Obama wouldn't ever do it. But those stories, those faces, the commercials you've seen of real Americans who may have been in prison longer than they should have been for crimes that maybe they weren't really a danger to society. Maybe the main problem was to get rid of, to be cured of the addiction that got them into the criminal life. All sorts of ways to try to find a path to get more people on the American dream. This is driving the left nuts. And Van Jones is completely wrong when he tries to say that what Trump was doing was choosing black voters over Hispanic voters. He's choosing, trying to make the American dream available for everyone in this precious country. And last point, and the Democrats, I got like one minute just to say it is a flaming, rolling disaster for the Democrats. Number one, the Iowa caucus. Number one, this app we talked about yesterday that they were trying to use, it turned out now only one quarter of the precincts were even able to download the app to get it on their phone to use, which was both to be used to count votes and to send in the vote count to the Democrat Party. So they had this app 
created by Hillary supporters. Only one quarter of the precincts could get the app even downloaded because they didn't go through the normal process to get this app approved. So to get it on your phone, you had to do some complex thing. Plenty of precinct chairs saying, hey, I, I don't even know how to get this. I, I can't even get it. We're still now, we're 48 hours or almost 48 hours past the uh, Iowa caucus, which should have been the lead headlines of Tuesday. We still don't know, although, but the, but the second and probably most important disaster for the Democrats is that you have Biden, the surefire, don't worry, he's our guy, he, he's going to, he's going to, got it for us, everything's going to be okay. We have Biden, who the Democrats are promising would be, you know, the reliable candidate, don't worry about all these crazy leftists, don't worry about Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they're not going to be present. Biden, he's mainstream America, don't worry about him. He came in fourth, a distant fourth. He doesn't get any delegates out of Iowa. You had Buttigieg coming in first, and so he's at, uh, he was very close with Bernie Sanders. Buttigieg got more delegates, but Sanders got more votes. You know, figure that out. So the two of them are, were ahead of, of uh, Joe Biden. So now the Democrats are trying to figure out what to do about Joe Biden, whose campaign appears to be in trouble, money drying up already, already reports of donors pulling back from him. And the Democrats are in a world of hurt about what they're going to do if they can't get a Democrat currently on the ballot, currently running into the, you know, clear front runner slot. They don't want to be Bernie Sanders. They know America is not going to elect him. And so they're trying to steer away from Sanders. Can't figure out what to do. I'll tell you two last points before I get to my, um, for uh, my, my uh, why it matters too. Uh, number one is that there are still people talking about that the entire reason Bloomberg is even in this race, he wasn't even on the ballot in Iowa, is that he's trying to essentially buy control of the Democrat Party. And when they get to the convention and their party is still a big fat mess and they can't get a, a delegate, they can't get a candidate on the first ballot, he wants to come in and essentially buy or force his way in to put Hillary Clinton on, on the, and just have her be the savior of the party. Believe me, there's a lot of talk about this behind the scenes of Democrats. Number two is that Michael Moore, the insane filmmaker, you know, allegedly documentary filmmaker, uh, is coming out and saying, look, the only one who can save the Democrats against Trump, the only one who can beat Trump is Michelle Obama. And he's saying he wants a national movement to get people on the left to push Michelle Obama, who has said she doesn't want to run, she doesn't want to be president, no thank you. And maybe she even means it, but there are now going, there's going to be more and more pressure on her to come forward and decide she would take it if she were handed that opportunity at the Democrat convention. And all I want to say to you is this. I agree she might be, she'd be more formidable than Hillary Clinton. But I will say this, do not buy into all this panic. People on the right are saying that if Michelle Obama gets in, that's over, we're toast, Trump's gonna lose. Michelle Obama, if she gets in, will have exactly the same policies as Barack Obama had. Policies which did not do well for the American people. All of this great economic news we have, all of this contentment. In fact, last thing I'll tell you before I get to my why it matters, there was a huge poll done by I think Pew, no, it was done by Gallup. Okay, so this is not the Rasmus and everyone always dismisses, it's always Rasmus and he's a conservative. This is Gallup. 84% of Americans are satisfied or very satisfied with their life. Big numbers, over half on all sorts of big issues. 66% are happy with the nation's economy, up 22 points since 2017 started, since President Trump came into office. 
poll after poll after poll. And I'm going to give you this, by the way, on my website, americancanwetalk.org. You can go there and read the links I'm talking about today. I don't have them posted yet. I'll get home and do that. On the homepage, you know, under shows, drop down, list of links, you can read this. But America's polling. They're happy with this country. Do not get all scared and frightened about the idea that if Michelle Obama gets in the race, it's all over for the Democrats, or all over for President Trump. If Michelle Obama gets in, she's a Democrat with the same policies Barack Obama had that did not serve the interests of the American people. And you have President Trump and all of America doing well do not let the left try to scare you into thinking we ought to be worried if Michelle Obama gets in. I don't know if she will or won't, but I don't think anyone we're staring at in the stage. I don't even, I mean, Joe Biden is, he's floundering terribly now. I think we probably will end up with Hillary as the Democrat nominee because there's no one else who can possibly take on President Trump. And now my friends, as I like to do at the end of every show, I will tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start with our first story, we had uh, State of the Union. What do American voters hire a president to do? To defend the country. We have border security, refugee control. We defeated ISIS, take out terrorists, al-Baghdadi, Soleimani. To strengthen the economy using the American ideal of free markets and entrepreneurship. Tax cuts, deregulation, fair trade deals, record employment for all Americans, energy independence, reduction in dependence on government. He talked about that last night about we, you know, we have reduction in food stamps. So we have tackle chronic problems with viable solutions, which is the other thing you want a president to do criminal justice reform, the VA veterans reform, health cost transparency, reducing drug prices, school choice for all people. President Trump has done the job and the American people know it. On Pelosi and the suffragettes, what women want. Pelosi and the white clad suffragettes, they won't stand and applaud for the lowest unemployment rate for women in 50 years. They won't stand and applaud for the lowest unemployment rate for minorities or for a young black girl receiving a scholarship for school choice or for enhanced research for prenatal medical advances. These people do not speak or clap for what American women want. They are simply leftists who stand only for leftists take over America. Pelosi's tear up the speech stunt may have assured a new House Speaker in 2021. And keep in mind, people, she'll be, she's third in line for the president. That's why we must flip the House. And again, Rush Limbaugh at State of the Union, Rush Limbaugh's career was and is uniquely and powerfully transformative from the 1988 liberal mainstream monopoly to today's dispersed alternative conservative media. Nothing has had more impact than the Rush Limbaugh program. Not a college graduate, not a man of letters. He's an ordinary American with extraordinary intuition and talent for understanding and articulating the American spirit with wit and goodwill and applying it consistently and unflinchingly to decades of change. The Presidential Medal of Freedom was richly deserved. Awarding it on the spot at State of the Union was an inspired gesture. It connected with great heart with the American people. And Van Jones ringing the alarm bell. The State of the Union address that includes criminal justice reform, renewed funding for historically black colleges, school choice for all, honoring a 100-year-old Tuskegee Airman and his great-grandson, an honor for recovered addict now employed, resonates and Van Jones knows it. The Trump is racist meme has never been true. It was and is mainstream media propaganda. It is dissolving every day and that scares the Democrats to death. And the Democrats rolling Iowa disaster, the party of more government is always a solution, cannot run a small state's primary. Two days after the vote, still no complete results. 
even assuming nothing nefarious, which is dubious, there is gross incompetence on display. Worst of all, for Democrat voters and Americans, the behavior reeks of disdain for the voters when they know the app didn't work, so they couldn't count real votes. What matters to the DNC is what the party leaders want, not the stupid voters. Biden is on the ropes, and the whole Democrat Party is very nervous. He was supposed to be their sure thing to beat Trump candidate, and it's not working out. Last thing I'll tell you, I did just get a text saying apparently the Senate has not voted to um, condemn the president, or did not find the president guilty in this impeachment trial. Therefore, he stands acquitted. We need to move on from this idiocy and hold the people culpable who tried this stunt. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Love talking with you every day. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com and come back tomorrow and every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, right here to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you